Mysteries of God. That's the title of, of tonight's talk. And the reason why I'm on a camp a little bit on this thought is uh, simply because in the Bible there's this scripture. Uh, you don't have to turn to it, uh, but just write it on your notes. Read it when you get home. It's in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Paul refers to God as this great mystery. And I connect with that because think about this. We are devoting our entire life to a God that none of us have ever seen before. Um, And we don't know anybody who's ever seen him. Maybe some of you guys have had dreams or visions, and that's awesome, but you're in the like 1% of the world, or the 0.01% of the whole world that has ever experienced anything like that. Uh, I haven't, and I don't know anyone else who has. It's a mystery. But our hearts, our spirit... When we hear about Jesus and we hear about what he did on the cross and we hear the message, our spirit, it comes alive. It's like, I know my spirit tells me that what is in this Bible is true. It's just like, it just, do you know what I'm saying? It's just like... Man, it's a mystery. I I don't all the way understand it. I don't all the way get it. Um, I wish I could have seen some of those things. It'd be easier for me to believe if I could have been there and saw it. Like, I would have loved to have seen Jesus turn water into wine. Are you serious right now? What else can you do? Uh, I would have loved to have seen the Red Sea part. I mean, the the Red Sea. I mean, think about like the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, wow. It would be so much easier if we could have seen these things. Or after Jesus rose again on the third day, after he was crucified, he hung out with people for 40 days. It would be a lot easier to have faith if we could have been one of those people walking around with them. But because we didn't see it with our own eyes, Paul is saying, look, I know that this whole thing is a mystery. And so you and I, in the year 2014, we are worshiping God to the best of our ability. We close our eyes. And, and some of you that are new here, you may say, why has everybody got their eyes closed when they worship? Well, you don't have to have your eyes closed. You can leave them wide open. And you'd have to ask each individual person in this room why they close their eyes when they worship. But I'll tell you why I do. Because if I don't, I'm like... I start thinking about other things. But when I have my eyes closed, I'm able to focus on what I can't see anyway. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, it takes every fiber in my body to focus on what is already mysterious. Are you with me? And so what I want to talk about tonight is how can this mysterious God who loves us so much, how can we practically 
be close, personal with him. Because if we don't know practically how to do it, we can be in a state of wanting, I wish I was, I believe in God, and I wish I was closer to him, but it's so mysterious, I'm not quite sure how to do it, so I'm just going to stay in a state of wanting and wishing, which if that's you, that means you're a lot like me, because I am always in this state of wishing I was closer to him than I am. Um, and I think we all should be there. We're all kind of wanting to be closer, but it's so mysterious. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm, I'm going to grab a, a passage out of the Bible, read it to you out loud. We're going to pick it apart because I believe that in this passage there's, there's five things that we can pull out and use them uh, as steps on how this mysterious relationship can become very easy and very practical. Are you with me? Does that sound like something you're interested in? Absolutely. Okay, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Uh, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain to be alone. Everybody say, to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were terrified. <laughs> I love that. Um, then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus with them. Last and final verse. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Don't tell anybody what you've seen until I go to the cross, I'm crucified. This is all hindsight. We know this later, so we're able to fill in the blanks. Until I go to the cross and I'm crucified and then I rise again, then you can tell everybody what you just saw. So there's five things here I want to pull out. Number one is the word alone. Jesus took Peter, James, and John alone. And why is that uh, so revelatory to us? Because being alone is always an invitation. Anytime you're alone, whether you are in the car by yourself, if you're single and you're home alone by yourself, if you are married in the 
kids and the husband or wife are gone and you're home alone by yourself after the confetti hits the ground, then you can realize that it's an invitation. I'm just kidding. But sometimes it's kind of nice to have the house by yourself. Amen. Um, Anytime, anytime you're alone, it's an invitation. Because God will always reveal things to you when you're alone. Now, he'll reveal it to you in a corporate setting. He'll reveal it to you when you're around people. But most often when we study the scriptures, Jesus is taking people and he's bringing them alone. He's pulling them away from the crowd. He's constantly pulling them away from the crowd. Now, a lot of us hate being alone. Can't stand being alone. And there's a big difference between being alone and lonely. Let me make this point. We're in a room full of people tonight. So nobody is alone. But you may still be lonely. Are you with me? You can be sitting next to your spouse right now. You're, you're, you're not alone, but you feel lonely. So there's a big difference. And, and oftentimes we will fight tooth and nail to not be alone because we don't like the feeling of loneliness. And I want to let you know that when we're alone, that is our opportunity to be able to connect with God. Now, I want to say this. It's always when you're alone. Now, when you're alone, the enemy realizes that there is an opportunity. It is an opportunity for you to begin to just say one-sentence prayers. It's an opportunity. The definition of worshiping is putting your mind's attention and your heart's affection on God. So all of us worship differently. Uh, some of us are out loud and some of us raise our hands. That's, that's what I do. Some of you are more quiet, more reserved. Um, but it's an expression of your heart. And some of us can, like, uh, uh, there's, there's one lady, Linda, I don't, I don't want to embarrass Linda, but she can pray for two hours. Um, no problem. I, 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 there's no way I could pray two hours. <laughs> There's no way I can pray two hours. And if I do, the Lord will be telling me, Frankie, shut up. You're not even making sense right now, Frankie. You're just, blah, 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 blah. I just, I, I, I have trouble with that. Linda can do that. But, I, but I'm more of the, like, you know, uh, the sweet spot for me is like 45 minutes to an hour. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good prayer time for me. Uh, some of you, the sweet spot is like 10 to 15 minutes. Any longer than that, you're, you're start looking around or some of you it's two to three minutes but wherever your scale is when you're alone that's the opportunity it's an opportunity some of us uh, and I'm this way when I get in the car the first thing I think is who do I need to call back and I clear my voicemail and call people back and I'm so sorry if that makes some of you mad I know I shouldn't be on the cell phone but I'm just being honest and, and so I just call people back when I'm in the car um, but when I recognize that when I don't call people back and I don't listen to the radio, I've got 30 minutes or 15 minutes before I get to my next destination, and that's an opportunity. But let me say this. The enemy knows that when you're alone, that's the biggest opportunity for you to draw close to God. 
So he unlocks the hounds of hell every time you're alone. Go get them. I mean, just imagine 50 dogs on leashes. And the minute you're alone, click, 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 click. He lets the hounds of hell go every time you're alone, especially at night. Because that's when you're the most alone. And that's when, if you ever notice, that those of you that fight depression, when does it come? At night. When you get discouraged, when does it come? At night. When you feel the most lonely, when does it come? At night. If you struggle with pornography, when does it come? At night. Why? Because that is when everybody else is away from you. And the Lord has arranged alone time. Alone. One of my favorite things to do in the world is to sit on the couch with a cup of coffee and have ESPN and Fox News and press flashback every five minutes. Fox News, ESPN, ESPN, Fox News, Fox News, ESPN. And I caught myself the other morning because I don't have a family. They're all in Vancouver visiting my in-laws. And I'm just like, now I'm starting to see the same story twice. I'm like, I've been sitting here for a long time. My goodness, I've, I've watched this interview like twice so far. And I realized, man, I've got an opportunity to turn the TV off and just talk to the Lord a little bit. And then I thought, wow, I kind of enjoy sitting here watching TV. And I let that opportunity pass by. I wish I could stand here and go, I turned off the TV and I just spent time with God. But I didn't. I enjoyed my coffee and I kept on watching TV. Do you see what I'm saying? But the thought crossed my mind. Um, I just didn't follow through with it. Uh, every single time I'm alone, that option is there. And if it, the stronger I get, the quicker I'll be on turning off the TV. But remember this. Every time you're alone, the hounds of hell, click, 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 click. Every time you're in the car, click, 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 click. Anytime you're at home by yourself, click, 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 click. The hounds of hell. Are you with me so far? So it's when you're alone. Anytime God wants to unlock a mystery so that we can see a part of Him. Let me just say this. For some of you that think to yourself, I've seen no mysteries. Do you believe in Jesus? If the answer is just yes, a mystery has been unlocked. Because there are millions of people that when you say the name Jesus... That does not mean the Son of God. That's nobody to them. Because it's the mystery hasn't been unlocked. But for you, it has. And that's only the beginning. Are you with me? So the second thing that happened is that he pulls them all. The first thing was alone. And then number two is the mysteries. You know, I've read this passage hundreds of times. I've heard preachers preach on it since I was a little kid. And to this day, nobody knows what they were talking about on the mountain. Nobody knows except for Peter, James, and John. People have huge debates. Why did Moses show up and Elijah show up? What was the big deal about that? And what were they talking about? Nobody knows. Theologians have some educated guesses, but nobody knows. It's, it's mysterious. The only people who know are Peter, James, and John. 
And I want to say this, that for those of us that say, hey, when I'm alone, I'm going to give that moment to God. I want to let you know that there are certain mysteries, there's certain things about the personality of God, there's certain things about the heart of God that you will begin to learn. The Bible says that He'll teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. He will teach you. And the rest of us are going to go, what? Huh? Let me give you a, a quick story out of the Bible. Jesus was turning water into wine. And the servants that were serving at the wedding, they ran out of wine. They came back to Jesus. We're out of wine. Jesus' his mom said, you got to do something, Jesus. And so he, he, takes, uh, he, ta- he takes the pitchers, the empty pitchers, and he tells all the servants, go fill it up with water. And so the servants come back with all these pitchers of water. And then he pours it into different, uh, he pours it into cups. He begins to show and just take the pitchers of water and pour it into um, into the cups and, and it'll be wine. And the Bible says that everyone at the wedding did not know what happened except for the servants. And why were it just the servants? Because they were the only ones spending time with Jesus behind the scenes. You know, we may think that It's not that big of a deal to put our mind's attention and our heart's affection on Jesus for a couple minutes every time we're alone. But that's when the mysteries of Jesus start to be unveiled. Number three, everybody say number three. Number three, the most wonderful place on earth. In in that passage, Peter, um, he, he said, Jesus, this is the most wonderful place. Now, I've been to the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what they call it in, in Israel. And, and I got to tell you, it's beautiful only because the landscaping is so beautiful. It's like in, in Texas, if you hit a speed bump, boom, you go, man, that mountain was beautiful. That's the only mountains you see around here. There's no mountains. Are, are you with me? The only mountains we have are like big, huge anthills. And, and some of those ants, you can get on a... They're huge. But we don't have any mountains. But when I looked at this mount, they call it the Mount of Transfiguration because that's where Jesus was uh, transfigured. Um, but for the most part, it would look like just like any other mountain. There wasn't anything special about it. But because they were having a moment with Jesus... That moment, Peter said, this is the most wonderful place. And and I want to say that when you and I continue to the best of our ability to talk to God every single time we're alone, every single time we're alone, every single time we're alone, we will race to alone. We can't wait to be alone. Does that make sense? I can't wait to get in my car so I can pick up right where I left off. Does that make, when, when me and God are doing really good, um, I will just tell the person, I say this all the time, I'm sorry you've heard it so many times, but when I'm sitting in a restaurant, I'll start thinking about God 
because I was talking to him in the car before I got here and I'll miss talking to him and I'll tell the person, I got to use the restroom. It's kind of a lie, but it's a gray area. Um, <laughs> because I don't need to use the restroom in the way that they think I need to use the restroom. Uh, I go to the restroom and I'll go into the stall and I'll pull out toilet paper and I'll lay it on the floor and I'll get on my knees and I'll say, I just want you to know I love you. That's all I want you to know. I just want you to know that I love you. And, and I'm really sorry for everything that I've done that's ever caused you displeasure. just want you to know I love you. I'll stand up and I'll take the toilet paper and I'll throw it away and I'll go back to my seat and didn't even use the bathroom in a traditional way. <laughs> uh, but you will run to the alone places. You'll run there. You know, if you're doing the dishes and the family is over here, you're doing the dishes, it's like for that moment, it's amazing how everybody leaves you alone when you're doing the dishes. Isn't that weird? Uh, <laughs> you know, you're doing the dishes, but you're, you're alone at that moment. You know, if you're single, you come home from work and, and you're alone for five hours before you go to sleep, you'll find yourself running to alone places because you realize that that's the most wonderful place on earth. Everyone say number four. Number four is the impartation. Uh, my favorite part in that, one of my favorite uh, vis, um, sentences in that passage was uh, that Peter said, let's build a memorial right here. What a moronic thing to say. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh my goodness! This is so awesome! I say, uh, we. In, in some of your versions of the Bible says churches. Let's build churches. Let's build three churches right here. One for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you. And what's interesting is I went to, um, uh, when I went to Israel, every significant place that, they, that was in the Bible that they can find the location of it, they build a church there. Because what they try to do is they try to save or salvage or protect that plot of land from the weather and decay by building a church on top of it. Um, so, for instance, um, the, the place where uh, Jesus um, turned water into wine in, in, in Cana, um, they built a church there because... Uh, it was inside that house where he did it, so they put a church on top of it. So every significant place, there's always a church there. Um, in Samaria, when Jesus saw the lady at the well, they, they found the well, or what they believe is the well, and they put a church right on top of the well. Um, and so that's what they do. And so when you go to Israel and you see these different places, there's always a church there. Everywhere where there's a church, that's somewhere significant. And so here Peter is saying, let's build a church. Let's build three churches right here. And if you'll notice, Jesus didn't say anything back. It's almost like Peter that was so stupid, I'm not going to say anything. You're not going to just build a church right in the middle of a mountain. Like, has anyone ever said something stupid to you and you just like... I'm going to pretend like you didn't say that. <laughs> That's what it was. Hey, let's build three churches. All right. Uh, thanks, Peter. Moving right along. Um, I, I got to say, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I went to a, a conference last week in Alabama, um, and there were 3,100 ministers there. 
Now, I have this personal rule that any time there's question and answer time, I never ask a question. But I don't know what got into me. I thought, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask a question. I got, I got a question. And so um, I decided I was going to text my question just in case I look stupid. So uh, I texted my question to the person. Uh, they had the, this number on the screen that you could text in your questions, or you could come up and ask your question in person. So I texted my question, and they didn't bring up my question, so I'm, I'm going to ask my question. So I come out of the, the balcony, and I come walking down, and I had this little voice in the back of my mind that said, Turn around. <laughs> Turn around. And I said, no, no, no. I'm going to ask my question. And this other voice, same voice, Frankie, your question has nothing to do with what this session is about. Turn around. No. I'm going to ask my question. So the, the session was on governments of a church, like, you know, how to staff your staff, you know? And, uh, you know, to me, I'm like, blah, 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 because our staff does pretty good. So, you know, I was like ADD galore. So I had another question that had nothing to do with what they were talking about. And I want to ask my question. So I come down up to the microphone, and he goes, the speaker says, uh, name and church. I said, Frankie Mazapika, Celebration Church of the Woodlands. Had I known that this was going to bomb, I would have said, Carrie Shook, Fellowship of the... <laughs> Had I known. But I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that at the time. Um, so, <laughs> so I said, Frankie Mazapika, Celebration Church of the Woodlands. I said, here's my question. I said, when, when somebody who, who doesn't know God, uh, they're not Christians, asks you... What does God sound like when he talks to you? What do you say? Now, I feel like that's a pretty good question, right? So he looks at me. 3,100 people are in the place. And he goes, why are you asking me that question? immediately this circle of sweat on my back. And so I don't know how you guys are wired up, but um, God's still working on me, okay? I'm not all the way the way he wants me to be. He's still working on me. And so if you make me look stupid, there's a side of me that gets a little ticked off, right? I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on. I'll talk about your mama right here in front of 3,000 people. <laughs> Is anyone with me? Is God still working on you? I'm like, oh, hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm going to mess around and get crazy in this place. So I said, uh, I said, well, people ask me that question, so that's why I'm asking you the question. So he goes, so you don't know? 
I said, I know. I'm like looking around at the crowd, just so y'all, I said, I know, but your answer might be better than my answer, so that's why I'm asking you. (laughs) And I'm thinking, this is not going the way I imagined it in my head. And so it just gets real trite from there. You know when someone gives you a trite answer and you're like, that's not the answer I wanted. He goes, well, anytime somebody says that they heard from God, it needs to line up with the Word of God. And I, felt, and I just said, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'm walking back to my seat and I'm like, that's not what you would tell a non-believer if you were sitting at Starbucks. But I'm not going to bring that up. So I, I walk back to my seat and I sit down and my buddy leans over to me and he goes, that was a bomb. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so one of these days, I'm going to preach about what God sounds like when he speaks to you. And it's going to be way, it's going to include his answer. But there's going to be a lot more than that, okay? Just so you know. Just just so you know. Just so you know. I got to go back to my notes because I have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, the, 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 did I say number four? Did I say number four? Did I tell you what it was? Impartation. Sweet. Impartation. Uh, And so they built three memorials. Okay, that's what it was. That's what it was. Uh, When we say stupid things, that's where we were. That's where we were. Just a squirrel, squirrel. Uh, When we say stupid things or or, or take rabbit trails like that. Uh, So Peter said something stupid. That's how I got off it. Let's build three churches. Frankie said something stupid. You see how we're tying this thing together? Frankie says stupid things. It's almost like God backs up, Jesus backs up and just says, okay, it's okay, but what I have in mind is so much bigger than what you just suggested and what you're hoping for. So no, we're not going to build three churches, Peter, but what I'm going to do, he gives them something inside to carry with them. He, but he tells them, don't share what you have. Don't share it until I rise again on the third day. And, and this is what I want to encourage us to remember. That every single time we're alone, it's an opportunity to cultivate our relationship. And what's going to happen is the Lord will begin to teach us things and show us things. And it's in you. It's, I know this is so hard to, to describe, but all of a sudden it's in you and now you're carrying something inside of you that's from God to share. And that is far better than what he ever imagined. And there's nothing cooler There's nothing more amazing that when you meet somebody 
or you're talking with somebody and you share something from your personal relationship with God and you see their eyes begin to light up and you realize that, man, God just used me in this moment. And then you become what I call an agent of encouragement where God begins to send you on assignments to different people in your life. You're no longer just living your life as a mundane schedule. You're going from person to person, assignment to assignment. Last and final thing before I close is the overshadowing. Um, The last thing that happened is they were standing on the mountain And the Bible says that they were overshadowed with a cloud. Now think about this. You're on a mountain, and all of a sudden the cloud goes, (laughs) what are you thinking and feeling at that moment? Be honest. Let Let me tell you what you're thinking and feeling. That's what you're thinking and feeling. There's a panic. There's a, oh my gosh, what's happening? There's, there's fear. There's uncertainty. They're pursuing. Watch this. Oh, this is so important. Isaiah, come up and play because uh, I'm, I'm almost done and we're going to close out the service. Um, but, but let me say this. When you're pursuing God, you're going to hit certain seasons of complete uncertainty and you're com- you, you have no idea what's going to happen. And when those moments come, you're going to back up and you're going to say, I'm doing the best I can. I'm praying to the best of my ability. I'm trying to be as consistent as I possibly can. And it still feels crazy. I'm going to be real. We're going to talk real tonight. I'm going to church more than I ever have before and my life still feels crazy. That's what was happening with Peter, James, and John. I'm standing here with Jesus and I'm still scared. Things have gotten... Like, you freaked me out with seeing Moses and, and, and Elijah, but now this is really freaking me out. And I just want to say this, that when your life feels like it is just the, the craziness, the chaos, the fear, the uncertainty, when it feels like it's just hitting a, 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 a peak, just know God's voice is coming very, very soon thereafter. It's coming very, very soon. Because the darker it gets, it's an indication on how close you are to coming out of that season. The Bible says this, because of the great door of opportunity, an enemy has formed himself against me. In other words, because there is something so special, so close, an enemy has lined up in front of me. And I've said this before, the Houston Texans last year had no problem at all getting to their own 20-yard line. 
But they had a huge problem getting from the 20-yard line to the end zone, the quote-unquote red zone. Why was it so much easier to go 80 yards, but they couldn't do the last 20? Because the defense knew you are really close to the opportunity. And so now we are going to heighten our intensity. And the Texans, unfortunately, couldn't handle the heightened intensity. They could handle the day-to-day, the 80 yards intensity, but they couldn't handle the heightened intensity. But they were so close. And when it's the darkest, hell heightens the intensity. So some of you may be in a season where you say, yeah, life is tough, but it's not unbearable. I get that. Some of you are saying, no, this, I can't take much more of this. I would say to you, that's called being overshadowed. And the voice of God is about to lighten everything up. That's called being in the red zone. That's called being really close to what you've been praying for. That's called push a little bit harder. That's called pray a little bit more. That's called every single alone time. I'm going to just call on God because that's where the mysteries of God are found is every time you're alone, you have an opportunity to begin to unlock the mysteries.